What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is Taylor Mondeson of The Pretty Reckless. Taylor, good to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Okay. You spent the last couple of years in Maine. How did you end up in Maine? A lot of the band is from New England, so we spent a lot of time over the past decade rehearsing up there, and I used to crash on couches or stay at hotels, and after 10 years, I kind of got old, so I finally got a place there, and uh, and uh, it, we actually made the last record there, so it was uh, that, that became my second home, and um, I love it. It's great. Okay. Maine's a big state. And I don't want to know the exact address, but do you live like close to Boston, near Portland, up in the boonies? Where in Maine are you? I live about 45 minutes from Portland, but it's on an island. So it's very much, it's very Stephen King-esque in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> very Horrorville, which I love. It's it's right on the water, which is awesome. Um, very beautiful, but very, very isolated, which is it's kind of perfect because I, I split my time between New York City and, and Maine. So it's it's the exact opposite of New York City, which is is great for writing when you need to kind of get inside your own head and, you know, check out from the rest of the world. It's perfect. And how do you get to the island? You drive. <laughs> it's not a, it's okay, not so there's a like bridge. Get, there's a bridge, but it's a very tiny little island with like 10 houses. And is your house on the water? It is on the water. It's actually on stilts in the water, which uh, in the winter can be a bit scary uh, because there's always a, a, a quick chance that it might uh, collapse into the ocean. And uh, that can be a little nerve wracking when those gusts are coming through. But uh, but no, it's, it's very cool and very um, I'm very lucky to have found a very unique place like that. Okay. And electricity, internet, cable is all regular speed or you know you have the curse of the boonies Nah, there's a bit of a curse the internet you know kind of goes in and out the waters island water so it's kind of crappy um 
but uh, it, but it's it's also you know it's still a modern house. Too. I mean, it's actually it was built a very long time ago. It was built in like the 1900s, but uh, but it's been modernized since. And are you a loner, or is this just a good place to be? Uh, I'm. I think it kind of depends on the month. <laughs> I mean, when we're on tour. I'm certainly not a loner, but uh, I no, I'm kind of a. I would say I'm I'm a loner. I have very few friends and, you know, very close friends, but very few. And I, I very much appreciate my my alone time and my privacy, just me and my dog hanging out and writing music. And Well, know. how far away are your bandmates? I'm not too far. I mean, the, a couple of them are in New Hampshire. Uh, guitar player Ben's also in Maine and New York. He splits his time as well, like I do. Um, so not not too far. But we rehearsed in Maine. I've, we have a rehearsal space right down the street from me, which is awesome. We finally put that together and it's, it's very, it's in an old like armory, which is very cool. Um, very grungy and uh, I don't know, rustic, I guess, for lack of a better word. Uh, but it's, it's, it's awesome. You can just make noise all the time. And we finally set that up, which took about 10 years to get an, an actual official rehearsal space for us. So it's uh, been a long time coming. <laughs> And what's a typical day for you when you're not rehearsing? What's a typical day look like? In Maine? Um, pretty boring, honestly. <laughs> uh, you know, wake up, feed the dog, um, have some coffee, uh, check the weather, go for a walk, work out a little bit, um, play music, write songs. Kind of, I kind of stay in my house a lot of the time. Um, of course, when it's beautiful in the summer, I, I love to swim um, and kayak, but I'm a big big swimmer i do you know laps of for hours in the ocean um so that's kind of that's my main hobby i guess that and then yeah wait a second at this time of year in june the water is really cold off oh it's the really cold it's it's even cold in august like even in peak swimming time it's freezing <laughs> never and we don't get that nice california water <laughs> so you just jump in and then endure the shock and wait till you adjust Pretty much, yeah, and and you know, swim till I can't feel my hands and feet anymore. <laughs> That's always a good time to get out when you go numb. Okay, your band members are older than you, correct? Mm-hmm. How much older are they? Um, like, I mean. I- that's a good question. I don't even know their actual ages. Um, age is just a number. Bob, you know this. It's all about uh, kindred spirits, and I, that's how I look at it. But they're uh, they're like uh, ten years older than me. Something and like that. Does that you know affect frame of reference? Is there any positive or negative to them being older than you? No. Um, I think you know when we formed the band, it was they were seasoned musicians, which was wonderful for me. Um, <laughs> they they actually the, the band came about quite organically. We. Um, the three of them, Mark, Ben, and Jamie, were actually in a band together for many years. And I met, I was a singer-songwriter, and I was kind of doing the rounds of, you know, working with different producers and meeting different people. And I had always wanted to be in a band. That was always my goal. And I'd had like, you know, middle school bands and things like that, but nothing serious. And uh, I met our producer, Cato, uh, while doing the rounds of meeting everyone. And we hit it off immediately. And he introduced me to... Uh, Ben, our guitar player, and through Ben, I met the rest of the band. And I essentially heard their band and went, well, I just want, I want to be in your band, but I want to write the songs and I want to be a singer. And so that's pretty much what happened. Um, We kind of just combined forces and the Pretty Reckless was Okay, so how do you write the songs? Um, I get asked this so much and I wish that there was 
But let I me ask you a different a question. Before, let me ask you a different <laughs> question before. Do you write them alone or in concert with the other band members? Uh, well, Ben and I are the two songwriters of the band. So the two of us are the only writers. Um, and we have a really good thing going. I, it's, there's no formula. Um, and that, that, you know, that presents challenges. I wish there was, I wish there was a way to, I mean, I know how to write in a formula, but that's just, I don't find that, uh, pleasurable. That's not, that's not why I make music. I, I make music to express myself. And when I have something to say, say it. And, um, you know, music, writing music was always this outlet for me, uh, that, it's where I could really be myself and really say what I felt and, and what I thought. And it was kind of this, this way that I could process my emotions and my, my thoughts and my brain and, and kind of uh, control the world around me, I guess, or let, or let, or let, let go of the control of the world around me. I, I don't really, it was just this place where I could be very honest. Um, and so I fell in love with songwriting at a very young age. And when I met Ben, he had a very similar ethic to me in, in writing. And it just was this kind of seamless transition as to writing together. And, and there is no formula. That's what makes it challenging. There is no, it starts with the guitar or it starts here. It just, it, the simple answer is it just, it starts with an idea and that can come from anywhere. And that's, that's what makes it torturous is you never know where it's going to come from or if it's going to come. And, and that can be a very scary, um, time period especially when you're trying to you know write in a new record and you don't know you don't know where to begin um and so you it's a lot of waiting around honestly it's a lot of waiting around for inspiration and, and something to strike you and that turns into a song and does he always do the music you always do the lyrics or do you share those no we share everything it's you know each song's done very differently um like i said kind of the only common thing is that it starts with an idea and that can be a lyric that could be a chord that could be a the sky looks pretty today like it, it can start at any from any place sometimes songs come in five minutes sometimes they take five years you know so it's um it's 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 interesting i like i said i always my i have this stupid joke that i always say and i always say if i knew where inspiration came from i'd move there it would make my job a whole lot easier <laughs> But unfortunately, I don't. So you just have to kind of wait around for something to strike you. And I mean, and there's there's a, a process, I guess, not a process, but a, a way of doing that, which is when I'm when I'm looking to write something, um, when I get that itch, if I haven't done it in a while, or when I'm <clears throat> starting to write a new record, I surround myself with art and, and from, you know, reading books and watching great films and uh, listening to great records and you know, taking long walks and looking at great, going to museums, looking at great art, anything that's anything that could spark some sort of an idea. And by listening and looking at the the greats that have come before me, I always find that very inspiring. It just kind of puts my mind in a, in a place, in a settled place to begin, I guess. Let's go step by step in the nuts and bolts. And I know every story is different. Do you write in the same room? Do you either he or he gets an idea, then you get in the same room? Do you send things back and forth? I know there's no rote way to do it, but generally, how does it go? All of the above. <laughs> um, I mean, I've lived in the same apartment in New York for where I'm at right now uh, for over 10 years now. And so this place, I think, this place has some juju in it. Um, I've written pretty much all of all of our songs here, except for the ones that I wrote in Maine. Um, the only kind of constant is I it I tend to need isolation to write at least at least to really get to the core of it. Like I'm I'm always jotting down ideas and and things. But uh, 
to really kind of hone in on what I'm trying to say and, and really focus it into a song that takes that takes isolation that takes away that takes being away from people like so I tend to not write complete songs very often on the road um just because it's the whole it's a whole whirlwind of you know a different kind of lifestyle that you're you're very focused on that and so I it, it I need that kind of divide and step back from life almost uh to to be able to kind of put my brain in the right mindset and if that makes so, sense. So, okay, let's say you have an album you want to do, you need material. How long do you have to be in isolation to get there? Oh, man. Again, I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's probably why there's a, we have some space in between our albums. I mean, this last record, uh, I wrote over the course of probably two years, three years. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't do it like that. I don't write. I don't, I guess I said, I sit down to write a record, but it's, it's not like that. It's not like, okay, I'm going to write an album in the next two months or whatever. It's more, I'm, I'm always writing songs. And once I have a collection of songs that are succinct and I'm proud of and fit under the umbrella of a record that tell this kind of complete story. Um, and I feel like that chapter is complete. Then, then you make an album, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you said earlier, this is where you can be honest. This is where you can f be free. What is the message you want to get across? That's a very good question. I don't, I don't know that I have a message like that. I think, um, I think I just I, I write music to express myself, and it makes me feel good, and it makes me feel better about life. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's where I can deal with my problems it's where i can uh like this this last album for example like i don't know that there's a message per se i think by the time the album was finished and i could take a step back from it um and listen to it almost from an outside perspective i realized that the, it was actually a very hopeful record and i think that that's kind of what the message became um that after all this turmoil and very we went through a lot of trauma and tragedy in the past few years while, while I was before I was writing the album or while I was writing the album. And, uh, and I think when I took a step back from that, you know, the writing of it and the making of the album was me <clears throat> processing and dealing with everything I had gone through. And it was kind of almost like my therapy. Um, and then when I got to the other side of it and actually listened to the record, uh, it, I saw that it was this very hopeful album and, so I think that became the message of Death by Rock and Roll of there is light at the end of the tunnel if you want to see it. And, you know, even when things seem very bleak and bad, things do get better. And and I think that that's, you know, that's kind of what that album became. So I don't think I have one general message that I'm trying to convey to the world or in part other mm -hmm. than rock and roll is awesome and <laughs> playing guitars is cool and mm -hmm. writing music is super fun. Uh <laughs> well, you know, let me let me there's a conundrum at the heart of some of the greatest artists. They channel their individualism and it resonates with everybody, but they're one step removed. They feel like they're in their own space or they're alone or like, you know, so mm -hmm. you certainly had a lot of success being around other people. And certainly if you listen to the earlier material, it seems like a reaction to that. So, you know, do you feel like you're in your own world and therefore you could only just, uh, just tell your truth in the songs or you're a pretty active social person and you get to be yourself, but you write songs too. No, I kind of feel like it's the first one. I mean, I, I definitely feel like, 
like I said, music is where I can be myself. Music is where I can process my life. Um, and, and it, and, you know, and you can only write, you can only write what you know. You can only write your experiences, your life. And, you know, sometimes if you're, if you're daring, you can delve into things that you see and, and people that are around you. And then you can write about that. But it's, it's a very personal thing because there, it, you can, you're limited to only what you know and what you feel. And that's, so that's, that's what I do. That's, that's how I, I don't know. It's just, it's how I think like I, I, writing songs make sense to me. Music has always made sense to me. It's just the language that I understand um, and never really was taught. It just was, it always spoke to me in a way that nothing else did. And so getting to create something from nothing and, and purely express yourself is, is such a gift but it's also it can be very lonely because, you know, even even if people connect to it and understand it, they never will connect to it and understand it on the level that I do or I feel, if that if that makes sense. Okay. The band is going on the road. Uh is that something you like to do? I do, especially now. Well, it's it's a catch twenty two now because COVID is still going on, but especially now it's been a long time. Like uh because we, we lost a lot of people very close to us. I kind of went into isolation. We made the record. So it was about five years until since we had toured. Um, and so to finally be able to play the new songs off the new record and be back out on the road in front of the fans, it's such a breath of fresh air after a five-year-long break, which was not intentional. Um, but it is it is still challenging with COVID, though. Like, you have to be very, very safe. So it's... Uh, you kind of you live in a bubble so it's it makes it a little less fun but it, in one way it makes the shows even more rewarding because that's really your that's where you get to um have all the fun because <laughs> everything else is really boring right so what works in terms of performance how do you make the audience connect with you beyond the songs themselves that's a very good question um I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I've never, I'm not one to super analyze what I do because I think if I start to do that, then I'll get too in my head about it. Um, so as far as performing goes, I just try to sing as well as I can and, and perform as honestly as I can and, and really think about what I'm saying and what I'm singing and, and try to connect to the audience that way. And, and just by being very honest. And then there's also a, you know, an element of showmanship, of course, when you're on a stage that, you know, there's lights and there's makeup and there's, you know, a bit of a extra, you know, moving around that you don't do in the recording studio and things like that. But, uh, you know, that, that makes for a fun show. But I, honestly, I think the, the most fun and, and the, the connection comes from the fans being so into it, if that makes sense. And so you can really it's this it's a it's a drug that you can't really get anywhere else playing live because you you create this kind of symbiotic relationship with the fans where you essentially become one in this in this nightly experience that only lasts for one night and then you move on to the next town and it's it's the same experience but completely different and so that it it's it's always it's like groundhog day but never the same <laughs> so it's it's very cool it's a very it's it's uh, difficult to call it a job um it's it's super super fun the job is the travel. The, draw, the job is everything around touring, but playing is, is simply a pleasure. Okay. Do you have a set list you use every night or does the set list change? The set list is always ever evolving. This is, this is the first, no, I won't say the first, but 
close to the first time that we've actually had an issue putting a set list together because we finally have we have so much material now that <laughs> we don't know how to hone it down. Um, but, you know, so we, we put together kind of a, a roundabout set list, depending on what the shows are for. If it's an opening slot, you have X amount of time, a festival, you have X amount of time and a headline show. You have obviously much more leeway to kind of play with um, and do what you want. But uh, so we have kind of three set lists based on times that we work with. And then depending on the night, depending how I'm feeling and how the, guys are feeling we we alternate a few songs and um switch it up and and, and that's making it that's making touring <clears throat> excuse me that's making touring very fun this time around too is that it's not the same show every night so it doesn't get monotonous it doesn't become this kind of you're bored of the material by the third week you know <laughs> okay let's assume you are the opening band which you certainly have been a number of times in your career even worse you might even be playing in daylight and oh, yeah. it's re- it's really the headliner's audience, and you play. How do you win over the audience? Hmm. I don't know. I wish I again. I wish I had a good answer. I wish there was some little trick that you could do that would just magically make everyone love you. But unfortunately, that's not how the world works. So we really just I you know I try to treat opening shows or or any show like it's our own show, and that's how that's how I approach it. Like we put on the best show we possibly can, you know, play the hell out of the songs and, and hope that people like it and hope that they respond to it. And you can't expect everyone in the, in the world to love you. Like that's just an unrealistic goal. So um, I think our, our goal is to just put on a show that we're proud of that we like because I, I love playing in a band because I love playing in a band. So if I'm having fun, you know, hypothetically, you should be having fun too. I hope that that translates. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VGW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus are you looking for the perfect move in ready home this spring season now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes for a limited time only enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. Okay, so every act needs fans to survive, but the fans want a lot. What is your personal relationship with fans? It's like, you know, are there 20 people you know by face, you know by name? Do you want to keep everybody at arm's length? What's the situation? Um, well, social media has certainly changed the relationship with fans drastically. Because um, when we started, social media was around, but it was certainly not what it is today. Um, so I think that, you know, it's a bit of both. I think there's there's some super fans that come to every show and follow us around the country. And I, you know, follow them on Twitter and we'll chat and I see their faces everywhere and know who they are. And then there's the kind of the mass the masses of where I don't know you individually, but I'm very appreciative of of your support because I can't do this without them. And, you know, I could still write songs and I'd probably still be making records, but, you know, no one would hear them if, if I didn't have any fans. So it's uh, it's I feel very fortunate to have fans. And, and it's a it's a fine line of because I'm a very I'm a very private person. And so I kind of struggle writing that line with social media of how much of my life do I share and how much do I keep private. And I think that it's a it's a balance and a kind of teetering act that I'm always playing with and, and trying to get more comfortable with sharing more of myself, but at the same time, um, keeping myself protected to a degree to where I can still be myself and that's not... That's not for every, you know, that's not for everyone. Not everything about me is for everyone. Everything, everything that I put into the music and that I put forth into the world is for everybody. But the, you know, I still have my private life that I keep just for myself as, as a human being. So it's this fine balance that I'm always kind of uh, toying with. And I, I, and I still haven't quite figured it out, I think. Well, have you had any personal bad experience as a result of fans? You know, one in 10 Fans is literally certifiably insane. It's just you don't know which one it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have certainly had some uh, some crazy experiences with fans, some that have gotten a bit out of hand. Um, more physical. I mean, well, no, it's been, there's been both. I mean, I don't, I can't get into it, but we've had stalker issues with where literally the FBI has been called and uh, been deposed, and, and and you know, very serious issues that I'm not actually really allowed to talk to talk about. Um, so there's that side of things, which is super fun and totally, totally not scary at all. Um, but then there's, you know, the crazy encounters at shows and things where like we, I used to bring, I used to bring fans up on stage during a song called Going Down. That was this very fun moment in the show. And I did that for years. And then we went to, was, we were playing in China and I brought fans up and the, the, chaos that ensued on stage the the aggression and mayhem where it just it got a little out of hand and we didn't have security and it got dangerous where my hair was ripped out of my head a a girl the groping became very um unmanageable where i couldn't defend myself and so we had to stop doing that so there's you know certain antics we had to kind of tone down just for personal safety um physical safety and things like that but uh but in general i think fans are just they're just enthusiasts. You know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of music. So it's it's getting to see your artist. You want to let loose and have fun. But, you know, just just don't go just don't go too far. <laughs> OK, you started off with fame from television. Was that a good thing or a bad thing for your musical career? I think it was a catch 22. I think 
I think that in in one way it was it was great because I had you know I had some name recognition and so when we put out the first album there was an immediate kind of uh, there was an immediate attention put on it where you know it, it was put out in a in a real way where you know we could play a show and people would show up um, but in the grand scheme of things I think that it was actually quite detrimental because it was a it was an extremely hard thing to overcome people's perception of me and that to, to, you know people saw me as this character that they watched on TV every week and I fully understand that I fully understand watching your favorite TV show and seeing that actor as the character that you see on television they're not a real person they're that character and so to kind of to disassociate myself from that character and have people see me as myself and as a musician and uh, and as everything that I, I truly was inside was was challenging and to kind of gain you know there was a hurdle to kind of overcome to gain credibility where I think a lot of people saw this as like some sort of vanity project or this fleeting thing like oh well she's just putting on a record because she can and whatever when and when in reality it was music is everything that I am and everything that I have to give. And I was trying to share that with the world and getting kind of hit from me from multiple sides of it's hard to, it's hard to prove yourself. And, and cause there's no real way to do it. There's no good way to do it. You can't sit there and tell someone, no, I'm this. And they're going, no, you're this. And it, you know, arguing about it doesn't do anything. So it really just took time. It took, it took doing this for 10 years and continuing to put out music and continuing to tour to have people kind of have that shift happen where, people see me as Taylor Momsen and not this character I played. And so that was a bit of a challenge, but it's, it feels good to be on the other side of it finally. <laughs> okay. When you made this transition, talking about the inside, you know, you have an agent, maybe you have a manager, you have an attorney, you have people who are making money from you. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did they say when you wanted to be a musician? Oh man, they were not. Well, when I, when I said that I, wanted to pursue music they were all for that when i said i wanted to quit everything else to pursue music that was when i got some phone calls people were not happy about that um because it was actually it was a big fight of mine um you know i was on the show gossip girl and it was doing extremely well and i became as i was getting older you know i i started acting when i was two years old i was put into it with my family um, you know, no, no resentment there or anything. You know, I think all those stories kind of got blown out of proportion when I was younger. I said some crazy things and they got taken out of context, but you know, I started acting when I was very young, but it was never this, it was never something that I chose for myself. It was something that I just always did. And I didn't really know any differently. And when I started to get a little older into my teenage years, I had this kind of revelation where I realized, oh, I don't, I don't have to do this. Like this is a job that I can quit. And it was like this, you know, lightning went off in my mind where it was like, oh, this is so simple. I can just play in a band. I can just write songs and do what I love. I don't have to do this other thing. Oh, amazing. Well, I'm going to do that. And so when I made that decision in my head and then proceeded to tell everyone that, uh, that's when I got a bit of a, you know, a bit of a reaction, but bit of backlash. And it was, it was actually quite challenging to leave the show because I was under contract. So it turns out quitting was not that easy. Um, and so I, it was, it was a very long process of me trying to get out of, out of the show. And I, I really came down to, I had to call, I called uh, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, the, the creators and writers 
and begged them. I just begged them. I want this is making this isn't making me happy anymore. This is this is this is not what I want to be doing with my life. I'm very thankful for everything you've given me and the platform that you've put me on. And this has all been a great experience. But I'm I, as a person and as a as a growing woman, I need to go explore what I really want to do. And they, because CW, the head of Warner Brothers, had a CW. He was not. Uh, <laughs> he was not going to let me out of my contract. So there was no way to get out of it. And so thankfully, Stephanie and Josh actually, they went, we can't let you out of your deal, but what we can do is we can write your character out. Um, so that's what they did. And so they they slowly kind of transitioned my character out of it, it, by writing it that way and allowed for me to go on tour and and really pursue my passion. And for that, I'm just forever grateful and indebted because they just they didn't have to do that and I wouldn't be where I am now if they hadn't so I'm just can't say thank you to them enough okay if you're working on a tv show until you're on hiatus the hours are unbelievably long mm-hmm. you know and you almost can't live a life so you can look at your bank account you're getting paid but you're not really spending any money not thinking about it and certainly mm-hmm. once the show is picked up it gets relatively lucrative Generally speaking, music doesn't pay that well. No. Nope. Especially not at the beginning. So once you got to the other side, you're extricated, you make a record, whatever. Did you ever think, holy fuck, what did I do? Or did you say, wait a second, this isn't what I thought it was going to be? Well, first of all, I was making, to speak about long hours for a second, because yeah, they're long hours. I mean, I was making the first album, Light Me Up, while I was still on the show. So I was going to work at four in the morning, working till about seven at night, and then going straight to the studio and working in the studio till, I don't know, two in the morning, sleeping about two hours a night and going right back to work. So I was burning the candle at both ends. And I think that was part of my decision to leave the show as well. It's just like, I can't physically do both these things. And one of them I love and can't not do. <laughs> um, so that was that was a challenge. Uh, and as I get, well, now I just kind of lost my train of thought because what was your question? I'm sorry, Bob. You know, once you finally extricate yourself and you are a musician, did you have any second thoughts and did you ultimately confront money issues? Like, wow, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to adjust things. Well, money issues, of course. Money issues is always a, I think that's something that no matter what level of life you've reached you're always you know i think even the the biggest actors in the world you know they still have money issues right like doesn't everyone so you know that's it but that's something that's something you figure out as you go um as far as thinking did i make the right decision or or asking anything like that that was that was never a question as soon as i i left and was just doing music full-time i finally felt free i finally felt happy in a way that i'd never i'd never really felt in my life before and then that's you know, that's the feeling that I wouldn't trade anything for, you know, I'll, I'll be broken. I'd rather be broke and happy than rich and, and unhappy, you know? Okay. You grow up in St. Louis. How do you end up in show business? It's a good question. I, <laughs> again, none of this is from my memory, but the story goes, uh, that I, my mom had some photographer friends who took some photos of me when I was like one and two, they somehow got sent to a modeling agency um, I got, so I got it started with, I got signed to Ford modeling when I was two and somewhere in going on calls for modeling gigs. I, I guess I was very chatty. 
I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure. I remember myself being a very shy kid, but I guess I was very talkative when I was little. And uh, my modeling agent said, you know, she should go on auditions. And so that was kind of the quick transition into suddenly I was going on acting auditions. And I actually booked my first audition, which was for a, a commercial for Shake and Bake. And so that was kind of, the, you know, the opening of the doors, I guess. And from that, it was just my my family mom and I would travel and go on auditions. We'd spend summers in New York um, and just go back and forth. I was kind of in and out of school. And um, yeah, and then that's kind of how that happened. Okay. So how many kids in the family? Uh, just me and my younger sister. Okay. Did your sister. younger sister follow this path at all? Uh, she she went on some auditions when she was younger, but she didn't. it wasn't the same thing as it was with me. So she, she did a couple small roles when she was younger and then that was it. And what did your father do when you and your mother were out working? He worked. He was a full-time, he had a full-time job. Um, still don't, never really understood what he did, but uh, <laughs> what he does. He, uh, he worked with electronics. He worked for a company called GPX. Um, I don't know if you remember that. He designed the Discman, like he, before computers and stuff, he would draw the actual, like what the new Walkman and stuff would look like. Um, so he was on the creative side of, of physical uh music players which was actually quite cool and then uh and now he works for now he's works for another company and i probably shouldn't go into what he does because i don't know if he'd like that but uh <laughs> but okay. he, he was he was at home working and, and my mom and i would travel and some okay so you're traveling with your mom when you're two years old that's fun at some point it gets old at some point i don't know that the travel ever got old i loved going to different places i loved new york city because that's where it started is we would we would go to New York in the summers when I was out of school and, uh, you know, kind of rent a place for a couple months and I'd go on auditions and, and do that thing there. And I fell in love with the city. So it, it makes it makes a lot of sense that I still live here. <laughs> um, I love the energy of it. And so the traveling, I think, was actually quite fun, but the constantly not really being in school and not really having a, a traditional childhood, I guess, certainly kind of took its toll on me in, in certain ways where I became very introverted because I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't know how to connect to normal kids my age, I guess, because I was living this very different life than they were. And so it put me in this very kind of isolated internal bubble, which is honestly when I turned to writing music. I started writing music before I even really knew what I was doing, I guess. I started writing songs and, you know, just how I was feeling and I'd write it down and I'd put it to melody and, and little poems and things as, as a kid, like, you know, terrible songs, but <laughs> songs nonetheless. And that's kind of where I fell in love with it of this, of this, this world that I could create inside my own head that nobody could touch. And it was just mine. And, um, it made me feel safe, I guess. So what was it like going to school? And then eventually when you get on a series, you're not in regular school at all. No. Um, well, in a, I mean, elementary school, I was in and out of school a lot. Uh, where, I, but I was still in school. I, I was in Catholic school, and so when I would go do a role or something um, and be gone for a couple months, the school would give me my work, and I would do it on set with a tutor. Um, so I was technically still enrolled in a school. And then when I moved to New York, when I booked Gossip Girl, I moved here when I was thir- twelve or thirteen. Um, officially, I I spent about a, I spent my freshman year of high school trying to go to a school <laughs> trying to go to a, a public school here in the city um and just the work hours were so nuts that i 
I gave up on that. <laughs> I gave up on that and, and left and, and just homeschooled and ended up graduating high school when I was like 16, um, just by doing it on set with the tutor and just knocking the work out. Do you have any regrets you didn't go to college? No, I don't. But uh, I, I thought about it. I wanted to go for like for writing or something, you know, something language arts or something like that. But uh, I also think that college is something that you can always go back to. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't say that I never would do that either. If, you know, if I wanted to learn a different skill, cause I think you, it's always good to better yourself, but you can do that at any age. Um, but no, I joined a rock and roll band. There's no regrets. <laughs> what 16 year old doesn't want to 50, I'm sorry, 15 year old doesn't want to be in a rock and roll band and tour the country. I got to do that. And it was awesome. Okay. So you're on a TV show. What's it like having all that attention? Um, it was, it was definitely different than what I was used to. Cause I had been, you know, I'd been acting my whole life and I'd been in lots of roles and, you know, some more high profile than other, but never involved in the tabloid aspect of things. And gossip girl was a, that was a transition to get in a, an adjustment to get used to where suddenly when you walked out of your house, there was, you know, paparazzi on the street and they were following you around and, uh, and suddenly your personal life became public, literally being photographed and put into, into for public consumption. And so that was, that was different. That was strange. Um, cause it, it happened overnight too. It was very, there was no like slowly getting more and more famous. It was no one knows who you are. And the next day there's 30 people outside your house. And it, so it was very shocking, I think at first, but I, I think I adapted quickly to it and and kind of got used to it and you know i think liam i think it's liam gallagher i think liam gallagher said he's like you know fame is this kind of thing that you gotta just keep you know keep kicking over your shoulder it's it's this it's this nuisance that's there but it's you know it's not what it's about it's it's very fleeting and it's just this thing that is around and you just learn to manage it okay a lot of people who are very famous at that age grow up very fast they drink, they do drugs, they have sex. What was your experience? Well, um, I think if you listen to my albums, <laughs> there's probably some indication of what my life is like. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I certainly grew up very quickly. Um, I, you know, I've never had friends at my own age that all my friends are older than me, even when I was like a kid. Um but I think that's just that's just subject to my surroundings. You know, that's not that wasn't necessarily by choice. It's just the people that I could identify with and communicate with and, and felt a kindred, you know, spirit with or whatever just happened to always be older just due to the my life circumstances. Um, so I, I certainly, you know, I, I grew up quickly and I've, I've now mellowed out in my old age of 28. <laughs> So you're writing songs from a young age. At what point do you say to yourself, wait a second, I can do this. I want to do it. I think I always knew that. And it was always something that I was pursuing. Um, just the difference is when you're, you know, 11, 10, 11 years old, you can have an acting career, but I don't think anyone wants to listen to what a 10 year old has to say in music. <laughs> At least I hope not. Um, so, you know, I had to get to an age where I had enough life experience and I had enough, um, enough, I had enough things to say that were, you know, important and relevant and 
and gets you and, and also you write a lot of bad songs before you write good ones. That's just, you know, how it goes. And so I had to get to a place where I actually wrote a record's worth of material that I genuinely wanted the world to hear and, and I was super proud of and, and wanted to put out in a public way. Um, and so that's really all it was. It was just a lot of practice. And when I finally met the right people, formed the band, you know, wrote a record's worth of songs that I was really proud of, it all just kind of came together very seamlessly um, in this very kismet kind of magical way that, you know, is very lucky in in this world, I think. Like, it's, you know, finding finding musical partners and, and like-minded people is, is a challenge. And, and the fact that it kind of all just, everything just kind of fell into place at once. It, that's kind of, that's the best way to say it, where it just all kind of clicked and it was just, it flowed like water. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You listen to your music, it's what we call active rock today, maybe. I would think that'd be the best description. And although you talk about your influences online, the first thing I hear is ACDC. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This is very different from when ACDC was really happening in the late 70s and early 80s, where everything mixed together. One could say that hard rock is its own ghetto. Most people who have fame in other areas go into pop. Mm-hmm. Okay, stuff that's Spotify top 50, work with producers, etc. How did you decide to go? I'm, I'm sure the music led you there, but you're a smart person. You must have realized where you were going. I did. I did and I didn't. I, I didn't think I was that calculated. I wasn't because I wasn't doing I wasn't making music 
for fame and success. Like that was never my goal. I already had that to a degree with something else. So I knew I'd experienced that. I knew what that was. And that was never a goal of mine. It was something that it just was. It was, it wasn't necessarily interesting to me. I, you know, I really got into music because I wanted to express myself and rock and roll was always just what I loved. You know, it's what I grew up with. It's what I grew up with listening to and fell in love with. And, you know, the depth of the the music from the, you know, it started, it started with the Beatles, which is, you know, not uh, uncommon, I would say, but it's, I fell in love with the Beatles and then Led Zeppelin and The Who and Pink Floyd and ACDC and uh, Neil Young. And uh, when I got a little older, it was, you know, Jimi Hendrix and then all the 90s stuff with Soundgarden and Nirvana and Oasis and Pearl Jam and, and, and just every every band and artist that I loved was under the genre of rock and roll where it was just this kind of pure, the purest form of self-expression and, and aggression and vulnerability. And, and it was smart. Um, you know, it had depth and it had layers to it and it wasn't this kind of fleeting, you can bop your head to it music. It was something that you could really sit with and, and, and escape into and go somewhere else. And that's, that's the kind of music that I always, um, loved and 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 still love and and that's the kind of music that i wanted to make um that and i also just love electric guitars because they're super fun so (laughs) okay so you've had i think five number one you know rock tracks but you can have a number one rock track and 95 percent of america doesn't even know who you are never mind heard the track Mm -hmm. is that frustrating i think that it's a good question i don't i don't know that i've ever looked at it in a way of frustration. I think that, I think that there's music that deserves to be, I think that there's, you know, rock and roll has become this very niche market. I don't think that that's a, you know, a surprise to anyone. And I don't think that that's necessarily deserved. Um, I think that, how do I want to say this? Um, You know, to me, rock, you have to remember that rock and roll has always been on the outskirts. You know, it's it's never really been at the forefront of uh, pop culture, except for in the moments where it takes over. And and to me, music is very cyclical. Like it's you know, if you look at the history of music over time, like if, starting with say starting with like the fifties, the fifties was very single bass, was very pop. Um, and you know, then the sixties and seventies came in where there was this kind of renaissance of artists and musicians that overtook the formula that was. Um, did the uh, the industry <laughs> you know it overtook the industry this pure expression where it was just undeniably great and rock and roll had this you know renaissance and resurgence and then the 80s came in and it, i think it, everyone tried to kind of emulate something and it, everything started to kind of lean a little bit more towards the pop vein of um you know there was a bit of a lack of depth in my opinion and then the '90s came, and there was your next resurgence with grunge and, and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, and where it, and everyone, Alice in Chains, yada yada, where it just it over it was so raw and so honest and so just the purest form of expression that it was undeniably great and it moved everybody. And that's the kind of music that I strive to make, and I think that that's the kind of music that every artist should strive to make, not necessarily in that genre, but a music that is so passionate that it touches people whether you want it to or not and i think that that you know and then after the 90s it's it's hard to find musicians like that and bands that are that great you know they, they're they're anomalies and that's why it's an un 
uh, you know, from an industry standpoint, it, you can't manufacture that. You can't constantly make that. And I think that's why pop always ends up coming and rising to the, the surface again. And so I think right now we're just in the process of waiting for the next rock and roll resurgence where it comes back because it, it can't die. It's too primal. That's what rock and roll is to me. It's, it's, the, it's so primal. It's the ultimate freedom. And when, when you hit the nail on the head, it's, it's undeniable. And I think that we're just waiting for that next moment. And I, I hope that, you know, we could be a part of that, that resurgence. And it, it, it's never, it's never going to look like what you think it's going to look like either. Um, and so, you know, always keeping my eyes peeled, I guess. <laughs> okay. Pretty Reckless has been on four different labels. How come? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's uh, every album we've been on a different record label. Um, partially, partially because I, I'm very, I like to maintain creative control. Um, and so I, I don't like having people in my ear, especially from an industry side of things, telling me what I can and can't say or can and can't write, or I don't like having, I don't like having people in the studio. I don't like A&R. I don't like, I don't like people telling me what to make. And so I, I found that for me, it works best to kind of create create what I want to make, make the album and and create this finished product and then pass it around to people and let them listen and and then find the best partner for that record and and see who's the most enthused and who's the who makes the most sense, who's who's really behind it and gets what I'm trying to say and what we're trying to go what we're going for and and who can help put that out into the world in the the best way possible. So that's that's kind of what's happened with every album is I've licensed the records. I, I make them and then I license them to whoever. Okay, but usually they want a longer commitment to go into business with you. So, A, when you were with Interscope, a traditional major label, mm-hmm. did they want you to do things? Did they want to get involved creatively or marketing in a way you didn't like it? And did you have to negotiate a split or did they only have one record or did they say we're done? Um. Interscope was well. They certainly, they certainly wanted to push me into more of a pop vein, which I fully understand. Um, and I was very resistant against that, and uh, very d- definitive in in the music that I was making, and and was not going to bend. Uh, and so that relationship kind of kind of just it we hit a point where it just we were both going in different directions and it just wasn't working and i also i thankfully have had very good management so uh who helped me kind of get out of that <laughs> out of that deal um but it's basically what i've done is i've i've tried to create a a very good team of people around me that are in my core unit that i've selected myself over the course of um a decade or so and that's who I trust with. And that's, you know, that's where the, the, the grand plan, you know, I wish there was one, but the grand plan is formulated. And then the labels become this kind of, um, you know, addition that we add to uh, the team on each album based on where we're at as a, a unit. If, okay. So really then you go to Razor and Tie. Razor and Tie is basically known at the time. It's now part of Concord, but it was independent then, primarily known for Kids Bop. Catalog mm-hmm. releases. They didn't have a ton of success with their new music label. What was it like being on Razor and Tie as opposed to Interscope? It was, that's a good question. It was very, in one way, very similar, in one way, very different. Um, you know, I think the first thing is that we, 
we made the they knew what they were getting razor and time knew what they were getting with us they knew you know they had heard the album they knew what they what the product I mean, product i hate being called the product but it is it is at the end of the day they knew what the product was they knew what they were trying to sell and so you know when we met with them um and cliff the president at the time he was just he was very he was a music lover he seemed to very he seemed to understand the record um on a on a very deep level which i appreciated um and it and they had a, a, a it just it, I don't know you know how you know how industry is it just kind of all clicked it, it made sense it made sense at the time and uh and I think we did you know they did a great job with it like we had our first number one on that record so it was uh you know we weren't under the major label umbrella but I had all the freedom in the world to 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 do and and be who and how I wanted to be and and that's that's what I'm going for is, is, you know, I've, I've played the character, I've done the the game and I, I just want to, I want the, the music and the art to speak for itself. And I want that to, which I know is sometimes an unrealistic goal, but I, I want that to be at the forefront and I want, and I want it to be my way or not do it at all. Cause I just don't see the point if it's not my way. And so that's kind of where the licensing of albums seem to make the most sense for me and, and has, till this point and still does so where i just i really don't have to give anything away i can i can maintain all the artistic control and that's the most important thing to me okay i must say as you talk you give the impression that everything's hunky-dory everything's great the label's great you got out of your tv deal you got a good management whatever but those of us on the inside know it's never that way there's a lot of frustration (laughs) a lot of angst yeah. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Even well, the most I mean, successful acts have that. Oh, I mean, there's tons of there's tons of frustration and challenges and angst and everything that comes up all the time. But you know, honestly, right now, I'm there's not really too many issues, which I haven't been able to say for a long time because there's been a lot of personal issues and everything is kind of hunky dory, for lack of a better term, right now. And it and it feels good to be in that place. I mean, if I was going to go down memory lane which i i could do but i would honestly have to get the band and help in here just to remember everything because it's you know it moves quickly and there's a there's a lot of uh a lot of stuff has happened that to even remember all the little details but but no i mean getting off the television show that was not easy that was extremely hard that was tons of fighting and arguing and back and forth and uh you know and it eventually ended in a place that that was pleasing to both parties. Um, you know, same thing with Interscope, get, you know, getting out of a, a deal that didn't fit what I, you know, didn't fit the picture of what I wanted my career to look like was super challenging, you know? So th- there's a lot, there's been lots of challenges and lots of fighting throughout the years. But at the end of the day, I, I, you got to let all that go. Cause if it's not currently happening, then what's the point of hanging on to it? Like life's too hard as it is. You got to move. I'm a little bit of a hippie in that way. Like move on <laughs> next thing. Okay. So today you're at the center, you're in the universe. You get depressed, taking antidepressants. Are you always upbeat? Are you active? You know, what's your inner life like? Um, I certainly struggle with ups and downs. Um, I think that I always have. And, and I went through a very bad bout with depression over the past few years while making this album. Um, we lost many people close to us and and that 
took me down a very dark path of depression and substance abuse and and everything that comes along with loss um, that I wasn't equipped to handle. And to you know, to make a long story short, that's that's where Death by Rock and Roll came from. It was it was me pretty much at my lowest and using trying to use music to to pull myself out of this hole that I didn't know how to get out of and uh and now I'm at now you know I've made that record I've I've grown a lot in the past few years and now I'm just trying to get back to life I guess if that makes sense I mean we you know I spent so long in isolation and then COVID obviously you know everyone did but that just extended this the sentence that I had put on myself another two years. And so now I'm just trying to kind of get back into the world again and, and see how that feels and try, you know, try those, try those shoes on. Um, Cause it's been a minute and, you know, get back out there and tour and play and, and see the fans and, um, and just try to live, I guess a little bit. Um, and that, you know, and I still struggle with ups and downs and, and of course, like everyone does. And, um, you know, some are more severe than others, and I don't really have a good answer to get out of it. Uh, I wish I did. I tend to always turn to music, as cliche as it sounds. That's that's where my head goes because it it's it's somewhere that I can escape and somewhere that I can also feel secure. And um, you know, it's it's kind of like a I don't know. There's there's music for every emotion, and 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 you know, when you scroll through when I scroll through my records, I can always find the song for what I for what I need, and um, and that's kind of what I try to turn to because turning the drugs and alcohol just that wasn't working for me anymore. That was going to kill me. So, you know, so now that's that's what my life looks like. I'm just trying to stay on the positive side of things and and get out there and um, live. So what are a couple of your go to records? Go to records. Well, every Beatles record is a mainstay. OK, um, what's your, wait, wait, wait. What's your favorite Beatles album? I can't pick one. I know that's because uh, you can't pick one. It's the whole. No, wait, 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 wait. We're just having we're just having I fun. Know. My, you know, I have one now. It's changed from what it was earlier. So, give me your general sensibility. Um, it's it's always different. I mean, okay. Well, right now I'm listening to the anthology a lot, just because it has okay. all of the all of the different demos and all the versions of songs, which I think is very cool to listen to and explore. Um, I also have been, I still haven't finished it, but I think it's, it's amazing. I haven't finished get, uh, get back yet, which I is the, I think the greatest thing to happen to cinema in <laughs> ever. Um, it's, I'm, I'm so fascinated by it. I'm so in love with it, but it's taking me forever to get through because I have to pause it every two seconds and rewind it and just make sure I soaked in every little moment of it. Okay. Well, let's stop there for a second. Where are you? The, I'm uh, still I'm still about halfway through the first one, <laughs> and it's taken me about how when did it come out? Uh, three months of well, watching the it, first one. All I can say is I find the three episodes quite different. They that's what I've heard, but I'm again I'm only on the first one, but I'm waiting for the so what turmoil. Did you, to, what did you take from what you actually saw? First of all, just how genius it is, but um, but I, I already knew that. But also just getting to see kind of the full extensions. It's like the unedited version of everything I've been watching my whole life, you know, to see this footage that's existed and I've never seen before is, is mind-blowing. But I think that I'm taking a lot of things from it. I think, one, it's it's amazing to see the similarities. I mean, not that I'm ever trying to compare myself to the greatness of the Beatles, but to see the similarities of, of what it's like to be in a band and to, to be a, a writer and to be, you know, in 
working with three other people and and have that kind of camaraderie and the the arguments and the banter and the just the their overall kind of demeanor is very similar to us <laughs> in a lot of ways um which is very cool to see that you know artists such as you know the greats like the beatles are at the end of the day, you know, they're human too. And, and there's, and so I'm, I'm okay, just so, fascinated. I'm just fascinated by it. Okay. So you're by band, every aspect your, of your it. band is in a room or a studio. What do you argue over? Oh my God. The, like everything. I mean, <laughs> there was one fight that I'll never forget where it was. I mean, I thought it was going to come to blows and it was just over how loud the hi-hat should be. Like it was, it was intense. It was a good 20 minute screaming match back and forth between me, Ben and Cato. And it, it was uh and we're not fighters we're, we're not physical fighters but it got close uh, so that's just one example it's it, we fight over the art it's you know it's a, it's a well let's go back to the hi hat what did everybody what did you want i don't even remember at this point honestly this was the first record um this was light me up i don't remember what i actually what i wanted or what i don't even remember if we, we might have all been even saying the same thing but we just weren't listening to each other like i don't think any of us actually knew by the end of the argument but we were so adamant about whatever it was. I knew it was a hi-hat that it was just, it it got very <laughs> heated very quickly and everyone had to walk out of the room and cool off and come back. And then it was probably just like turn it down a quarter of a dB and we were all happy. It's probably something that okay. simple. <laughs> There's a theme of you wanting to do it your way. Mm-hmm. So are you the ultimate arbiter in the act? Yeah. Well, if it, I mean, if I would say Ben and I are, Ben and I, because we write the songs. And so if they're, if they don't you know if the recording doesn't capture what our intent was or doesn't do the song justice to its fullest potential or whatever it uh we're immensely unhappy and it's and it's like you're destroying our children um so it's it's this very you know it's this very tumultuous thing where it's like if you like working with different producers we always worked with Cato. that's why it was is a very beetle like relationship where we worked with the same person george martin beatles us and cato because we build upon that we built upon that relationship and so um you know in, in musical partnership where it, it became symbiotic and so our 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 minds just kind of in, intuitively worked together and we all had the same goal um and so losing him and, and having him pass was a huge huge impact i mean not only was he my best friend but it, he was the fifth member of the band he was this very integral part in in the making of our records and so losing that was extraordinarily difficult and trying to replace that was nearly impossible and so um and where was i going with this sorry um and so to to find that again i don't know that we'll ever find that again and so that's what that's what made this album death by rock and roll very different in a lot of ways is that it was us kind of figuring out how to well, it was us figuring out how to make records without Cato, which seemed like an impossible task. I think when we started um, and luckily we, we, we knew one other guy named Jonathan Wyman, who's a, a, a old dear friend of ours, who's just a, a great engineer. And so we called him up and that's how we did, did made this together where we actually, Ben and I actually co-produced it because we were so involved within controlling about these songs that were so precious and so dear that there was no, um, there's no other way around it. <laughs> so I don't remember where I started with this. I had a, I had a full circle moment, but I forgot what your question was. Um, well, the, 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 does and, the buck stop with you? And so, oh, so my, 
Yes. So my point, my point being, so we're very involved in the recording and all of it where there is no, so it's the buck stops with, with me and Ben. It, it, it has to, it has to reach a certain level and hit a certain point and place where we can both go. That's great the way it is. And don't, don't mess with it anymore. And so, yes, the buck stops with uh, the buck stops with the two of us. And I think that we're always on the same page, though. We've never really gotten in an argument about well, what about all the other that. stuff, when to go on tour, what the artwork is and all that stuff. There's, you know, well, that's where the team that I've put in place comes in to play um, with touring I guess what and, I'm and saying, things like that. OK, it's I know the friend who's a manager will not ma- manage acts, will only manage, will not manage bands. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many issues between the band. Okay? Oh, we don't. No, no, no. We don't have that. I know what you're saying. We don't have that kind of um, dynamic in in our band. It's because okay. About- so <laughs> when you sign a record deal, are all four band members on that deal, or just you? No, it's just me. It's just just me. you. Wait, is it just me? Honestly, I don't even fucking know, and I should know that. Um, well, I'm the sole. No, it's 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 split because it's not me. It's not signed under Taylor Momsen. So it's it's I am the owner of the Pretty Reckless. So the the license, the title, the you know the copyright, I own that. So it's you're signing the Pretty Reckless, but I am the sole proprietor of the Pretty Reckless. If that, is that okay? So let's assume <laughs> there's an advance, or there are hypothetically royalties which never seem to show up. Everybody get twenty five percent. Uh, we don't split it like that, but everyone does get equal shares at the end, but it's not, but like with an advance or whatever, especially with license in the albums, it's not that's, it's not that cut and dry of like, here's your, cause it's not a 360 major label deal. Like here's your money and we'll take care of everything. The advance goes to making the art and goes back into the business. So it's the, the deals like that go into funding what right, we do. But let's just so, assume you're in business. And after 10 years, you have to be making some money. Otherwise, you would stop. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't be, be able to afford going on the road. So at the end of the day, if there's $100, do you get 50 and the other three split the other? Forget publishing. Totally different thing. Okay, yeah, because publishing is a whole other thing. Right. But on the member of the band, okay, do you split it 25, 25, 25, 25? Or is it split differently? It's a case-by-case basis. It's not, it's not a across the board blanketed set deal like that. It's a, it depends on the situation and, and what, where the money's coming from and what it's for and where it's going. And like, it's, it's not, it's not a, split, well, let's like, be simple. it's you not go, a standard deal like that. You go on the road, you perform, forget sponsorship, you know, just you're performing and it's merch. How is that split up? It's. It's not split by percentages like that. It's it's it goes into the business and then whatever's left over is split. But if they get paid it they get I don't I don't know this well enough to really discuss it properly, but they do, they get paid and I don't know. I don't know, they, Bob. They, well, they John, get paid. I'll ask one, I'll ask one final question about <laughs> do they get paid a salary? They do get paid a salary, but it's but it's a consistent sa- yes, they get paid a salary. Yes. But it's, but it's okay. it's constantly changing based on the incomes of the organization. Okay. So other than the Beatles, what are a couple of your other go-to records? <laughs> Fact is a little bit easier. Uh, 
well, Soundgarden is my other go-to band. Like my two favorite bands on the planet are the Beatles and Soundgarden. So Soundgarden is my But, but my you were forever. on the road. You were on the road with Soundgarden. Yeah. When Chris Cornell committed suicide, what the hell was? How'd you find out? It well, that was the start of my demise, I guess, um, or my very downward spiral was was the passing of him because that was to be on tour with Soundgarden when we got that phone call that we were gonna open for them my mind was blown like I couldn't even I couldn't process I was so happy I was that was a the pinnacle moment of my career that I could not believe we were opening for Soundgarden um I felt like I was in a dream and and getting to play those shows with them and and be on the road with them and getting to know them personally it was just the whole experience was absolutely amazing and super surreal and we played that last show with them in Detroit and the next morning I woke up to the news and it just, it was so shocking and so devastating. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. It, it crushed me in a way that I was not expecting or prepared for, or could even understand. Um, and we were still, you know, we were still in the middle of tour at that, at that time. And, and I, we played a few shows after that, but I quickly came to the, realization and the and the point where i was like i i i'm not in a good headspace to be on tour i i can't do this i can't get on stage and feign excitement and happiness every night like this is just it's unfair to the fans it's unfair to me like i i need i need a break i need some time to go home and grieve and be a person um and it and and i did i canceled everything i went home and as soon as i started to kind of get my feet back on the ground and process the the passing of Chris um I turned to music I started writing and that's because you know, that's what I always do it's this is where my mind goes and and I was calling Cato our producer going I've got some songs we got to get in the studio because it hit all of us extraordinarily hard I mean one of the reasons this band formed and and why it's you know has the members that it does is was our deep passionate love of Soundgarden. Um, it was one of the things that we connected on right away. Did you play Black Hole Sun on Rock Band? <laughs> I didn't play Rock Band, but uh, was it on Guitar rock, Hero? Was, was Black, no, I never played any of that. I played guitar. Was um, was Black Hole Sun on, on Guitar Hero or Rock Band? Yeah, that's one of the famous songs from Rock Band. But oh, continue. So you're, call, <laughs> you're uh, processing this, you call Kato. Yeah, so I, I've written some songs and and I'm like we all of us were in this kind of depression and this funk from from chris's passing and and I, when we got to get out of this let's get in the studio let's record i don't know what these songs are for but i've got some stuff like let's just move forward we got to try to get out of this and as soon as we were starting to put those plans in motion i got the phone call that Cato had died in a motorcycle accident and that that was the just that was the nail in the coffin for me that was that was the beginning of what i was sure was going to be the end like where i just i sunk so fast into this a hole of depression and substance abuse and just i this place of utter darkness and sadness that i couldn't get out of and i didn't see a way out of and i just and i think the biggest problem was that i didn't care like i was very content being living there and and essentially fading into nothing and and i just i saw that as that's where my life was gonna go and that's where i'd live and that's where i'd die and that was that and it took you know 
years <laughs> um that's you know writing this album and stuff of, of me trying to pull myself out of that hole because and that's why i say music saved my life and saves my life continually is because it it, it i hit that point where i was so lonely and so low that I needed music. I needed something. And, you know, the drugs and the alcohol, it wasn't filling, it wasn't even numbing that, that hole anymore. It wasn't numbing that pain. It, it was just exacerbating it. And it, and it didn't, it wasn't doing what I needed. <laughs> it wasn't doing what I needed it to. Um, and so I turned to music and it, and it was this, I essentially just relearned everything. I tried to kind of ask myself like what like everything I love is dead what's the point and there had to have been a point to all of this there had to have been and and I the, the point was always music so I started I, I tried to I essentially regressed into being a child where I just I listened to the albums that I grew up loving and and tried to find my love of something and from an innocent and organic perspective, I guess, of, of like you do when you're a child, when you just, you don't even know why you love something you just do. And that's what I did with music. I started to kind of listen to the, the starting with the Beatles records and just going through um, all the albums I, I grew up loving and, and love to this day. And eventually getting to a place where I could listen to Soundgarden and have it bring me some happiness and not just immense pain and sadness and that was kind of a that was a turning point for me where I could listen to those records and and there was a spark there um and it's I started to feel like I used to a little bit oh just a little bit and moments glimmering moments and that that you know led to me picking up a guitar and and playing music and because I was also all by myself I didn't <laughs> I didn't have anything to do and uh, so I was this was a long period of time so I just I turned to music and and playing guitar and singing songs by myself in my bedroom like I did when I was a kid brought back you know all those feelings that I felt when I was a child of of writing music and and that's and then this album turned into this very free flowing form of of expression where I just just once I kind of let myself let my mind go there and and say out loud everything that I'd been trying to shove down and repress um the floodgates opened and this album essentially just it kind of wrote itself it was just this very pure form of inspiration that I said that it, it it almost feels like the first album in that way where it's just this this uncontrollable source like you're always looking for the source of of something and and in this case it was like the universe had gone you wanted something to write about taylor here i smacked you in the face with it what are you going to do with it and i i i that's how this album was was made and, and written and and by doing that and by letting it all out through songs and in songs it it started to heal me and you know, heal my soul in a way that I desperately needed. And it was not overnight. Like when you, you know, when I sum it up in this little nice, nice little package, it sounds like it was easy. It was not easy. It was, um, it, it took a very long time, but at the end of the day, that's why I say this album, Death by Rock and Roll is a very hopeful record because it, it kind of covers this spectrum of, of everything that I was going through at the time and in this very real way, um, and in it and there's no there was no hiding there was no hiding from it there was no i couldn't i couldn't fake it even if i wanted to i i 
past that point where I was I was unable to fake living anymore and so it just it it came out in the music and that's what eventually got me back to a place of uh being here <laughs> i don't i just got very heavy with that and i i don't know so, if that entirely made sense yes it did so what did it look like doing uh drinking and doing drugs it looked like it looked like a train wreck what do you think it looked like it was i terrible. mean there are people say doing drugs <laughs> i smoked a lot of dope other people said i was i was injecting heroin I mean, there's different um, frameworks. Oh, what, there are it, people who are drunk 24-7, people who get wasted two times a week. Um, you know, again, I think that that's something that I'm not quite ready to share with the world. It, it, I'll just leave it at, it was, it was bad. That <laughs> was very bad. Um, and I, I did hit, a, there was a moment where it was, I had to make a conscious decision of this is going to kill me or so I, is death or move forward. Um and there was a there was a defining moment of that, but that's that's something that I I don't think I'm quite ready to talk about in depth. Okay, but the defining moment was it internal or external? It was you know, external. We've all seen that it was external. Mm-hmm. And no, it during- was a it was a very physical <laughs> decision. Okay, and during this process, were you getting professional help? Mm, not really. I mean, I I I had spoken to different therapists i had I'd sought help um but i hadn't found you know i think therapy therapists it's such a challenge to find a therapist that works for you and i i i because moving from therapist to therapist and never really found um the right person for me if so it, that that was kind of a dead end for me and not not for lack of trying though i so think then- at the end of the day i knew that it was it Outside help was, you know, there's only so much that outside help can do and then support from friends and family can do. I had to want to change. I had to want to make that choice to move on with life and, and continue to live. And 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 that's a hard decision to make, but it, it, it had to come from me. It wasn't going to come from anyone else. Um, and I think that, you know, it's like with anything, like trying to motivate to exercise like you can have a trainer and all your friends tell you to do it but at the end of the day you have to get up and do it and i think that that's i had to reach a point that hit hit something that that scared me enough to to change and i did Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You talk about this defining moment. Uh, once you hit the other side of it, was it totally... Yeah, of course, you had to have your head in the right place. But was there a third party who called you every day or came by every day to aid you till you finally got traction? Or was it something you did solely yourself? Um, no, I, I had help. I, the, the band helped a lot. Um, you know, they, they were relentless in checking in on me um, <laughs> and, you know, making sure I was doing all right. Um, not dead yet. Uh, no, so I had, I had, I had help in, in that sent in that regard where I had, I had very close people in my life that cared about me. Um, and that, you know, I'm very thankful for and very lucky to have, cause not everyone has that. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's kind of support system certainly does not, is not unappreciated <laughs> by any means. And I think that it, it is an immense help, but like I said, at the end of the day, if you want to change, it has to come from within you, like people yelling at you or telling you to trying to motivate you or whatever, you know, however that might look, um, isn't going to be the thing that does it at the end of the day. It's just encouragement. Okay. There's a famous book by William Styron, the author called darkness visible about his time being depressed and ultimately even going into an institution. And he said he couldn't listen to music. He was so bad. And I've certainly been in that space but when he mm-hmm. could listen to music, then he knew he was on the road to recovery. Was there any time it, that the music didn't work before it did? That's exactly what happened. And I'm not familiar with this book, but now I want to read it. Um, it's, it's an easy book to read. You should definitely read it. Yeah, no, I would love to. It's Because that's, that's verbatim what happened. When I was at my lowest, there was no everything brought sadness, especially music, because music was my whole life. And so... It, Anything I put on or listened to just brought back a painful memory or but I just hated it or like it, it brought back so many, it had so many different emotions attached to it that none of which were good emotions <laughs> and then they would vary on a minutely basis. Um, but it, so I just, I shut it out. Like it was, it brought back something that I couldn't deal with yet. And it just, it was not pleasurable to me and it was not creating comfort. It was creating pain and anger and anxiety and all you know all the negative sides of the spectrum of the wheel of emotions and uh and so yeah it was there was a period where i couldn't listen to music at all and i think that that was probably my darkest period because i'd never gone in a day in my life without listening to music it's just a part of my daily routine um and i think that that's like you said it, when when you when i 
I hit a place where I found myself needing it. I needed music and I'd been depriving myself of it almost unconsciously though. Like I didn't, it wasn't this conscious thing where I went, I'm not going to listen to music because it makes me feel bad. It was just like, I just didn't do it. It just hurt and I didn't do it. And I finally hit a point where I felt like I needed music, like I need water and oxygen and it, and it, I don't know, in this primal, un, un, there was no thought process to any of this. It just, it just was. And, and that's where that, that's where I kind of, I started from the beginning again. And I went, okay, well, let's start with something easy <laughs> to digest. Let's start with the Beatles, you know, and that's where it, that's where that kind of transitioning and introducing music back into my life through, in the order of how I fell in love with it as a child became this kind of very therapeutic process to me. And and the end of that looked like being able to listen to Soundgarden. And by the time I hit that point, that allowed me to then get to the next stage, which was playing music and writing music. And so that was, I. so I, I think I noticed it as it as I was listening to albums again, that it was starting to help me in a way. But I don't think I really noticed any of it until I, until I completed the album and then took a step back and went, oh, shit, that was a, that was a lot over the past few years. I don't even know what just happened. Um, Cause it, you can't see it when you're in it. But generally speaking, are you a glass half empty or glass half full person? Mm, I think it depends on the month. <laughs> I think I don't, after having this horrific experience, okay. In the I back of your mind is I like think you I'm say, well, it could happen the, again. Yeah. In the back of my mind, it's well, it could happen again. But I think because of all of that, I think because everything I went through and all that darkness, I'm now probably more on the glass, glass half full side of things in the sense that I, I look at everything with a sense of it's not that important. Like, you know, once, once right. death impacts you in a real way, it, it, it changes your perspective of everything else. And so anything that goes wrong or anything that's bad now it's kind of like well it's not that bad um so i so that's what my new motto is just it's ewe like it is what it is man like oh it was a bad show that sucks i'm pissed i'm gonna fire everybody you know whatever but ewe there's another one tomorrow like it's that's how you have to that's how i kind of look at life now in in general and until something you know hopefully nothing that serious will happen again at least for not a long, long time but go back to Chris Cornell for a second. I unfortunately have had friends who've committed suicide, and I find the only way to ultimately move far forward is you put it in a mental box. Yeah. You come out with some reasoning of what you thought was going on there. So how'd you do that with Chris, and what did that look like? That's a good question. I think, I have to think about that for a minute. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't dissected that one. That's a very good question, Bob. I I don't know that I have a good answer to that because I don't, I don't think I've thought back on it like that in that way. I think that, I think that once, honestly, <clears throat> Chris passing was extraordinarily devastating and the start of a spiral for me. But so shortly after Chris, we lost Cato and that, that, hit me in a in a way that like I thought Chris hit me in a way that I didn't know I you know hit me in a, the gut and the gut that I didn't know I had and then but then with Cato passing that was so 
so close to home and so personal and so, you know, such a huge part of my life, such a huge part of my life that that overtook everything. And so I think that Chris, you know, became a part of this whole umbrella that was loss and death and grief. And and, and it just, uh, it all kind of lumped together in this giant, everything I love is dead. I don't see the point of life. And so it, it wasn't so specific. Like I didn't have the time to get over, or not get over, but I didn't have the time to fully process and car- car- <clears throat> compartmentalize Chris's death because Cato's death happened so quickly after Chris's. So it all just became this one lump of hell. Uh, <laughs> not if that if that makes any sense. I don't mean to like belittle or or say no, that they're not, not no, different, that but it, it it was so they were so quick next to so quickly um one after the other that it was just this one two punch of pain and it all it all hurt. <laughs> there was no going like oh my arm hurts today and my leg hurts tomorrow. It was my whole everything hurts all at once. Okay, let's go into, you go on the road now, and you've been on the road before. Anybody who's been there knows it is a man's world. There's an occasional woman in the crew, and it's a real down and dirty lifestyle. And men can really be down and dirty when it comes to clothing, hygiene, going out, drinking. Are you one of the guys? Are you really separate? How do you uh, interact? I don't know. I'm definitely one of the guys. Um you know, I, aside from the fact that I have dresses, uh, <laughs> no, I'm 100% one of the guys. I think, um, we actually lucked out quite, or I don't know if we lucked out, but we're, we're a clean band. Um, we all appreciate hygiene in this group. So <laughs> we never had to worry about that, that kind of problem, um, which I think would have been my, my biggest complaint, but no, as far as like traveling and touring and living and, um, just being together, it's, it, we're all, we're all very like-minded. It's, it's, it's so just, it's very easy. It's very, it's one, you know, big family for even as cliche as that sounds, it really is. And I think that, you know, just the longer every year that goes by, the closer our bond is and the, and the, the easier everything gets. And it's just, it's, it's only gotten easier as time's gone on, which I, I think probably isn't the case for every band. Okay, so you talked about this uh, hole you were in with drugs and alcohol. Are you sober, or do you still drink something? I'm mostly sober. Um, I'm. I never got into, you know, the programs um, that just teach their own. Um, but I, no, I mean, I, I'll occasionally, I'll occasionally. I first of all, I smoke weed. Um, so I, I smoke lots of weed. But uh, but no, I, I'm I'm mostly sober. Like. I very okay. So you I, go. I haven't had a drink in two years. So okay, so or a year and a half or whatever. Well, let's talk a little bit before that. Before all these tragedies, you play a gig. You're staying in a hotel. One of the band members says, "I'm gonna go hang out at the bar." Are you gonna go hang out at the bar? Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. Oh, it's first of all the party. It's a really fun party until the party takes its toll. <laughs> like, you know, there's there's your way to say it. Oh yeah, no, it was a blast in the beginning. But, you know, like anything, it, it turns on you. Okay. Needless to say, uh, prior to cell phone cameras, a lot of guys got into rock and roll for the sexual opportunities, and they are legion. What's your experience being on the road? Um, 
Well, that's not why I got into it. <laughs> so it's probably different, you know, different priorities. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's been pretty, it's very isolated in one way, like touring. Is, it's it's so this bubble and we're so focused on the show itself that um, it's not like that. I mean, I don't like, do I, I don't ask a more specific question because I don't really know how okay, to what, get into this Do one. you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Um, I, I'll leave you guessing on that one. Well, let me ask generally I'm not looking for gossip here. Are you someone who tends to go from relationship to relationship or someone who tends not to have a relationship or someone who has long spells in between? Um, I'm either, no, I'm certainly not a relationship to relationship person. I'm not like a, I don't jump around. I'm a, I'm a loyalist. I'm a loyal person at heart. I'm loyal with the people I work with. I'm loyal with my personal relationships. And that's, um, cause I find, you know, when you find someone you can trust and truly be yourself around in any capacity, whether that's romantic or business, you, you hang on to that for dear life. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's kind of how I've always lived my life with, with very few people in my life, but very close people. So what's more sexist, rock and roll or the TV business? Ooh, interesting question. I don't know. They're probably like, they're probably equal. I think it depends on what you're talking about specifically. I mean, like there's, there's definitely more women on television than there are in rock and roll, but I don't know that that's is that sexism or is that just that there's less women in rock and roll? Cause if you look at the pop charts, it's all women. So I don't, you know, women in music or I think, I think the sexism side of, you know, if you listen to like Joan Jett or someone who's, um, you know, been doing this for a very long time, I think that the, the sexist side of things has certainly changed over time. Like I've never felt, I've, I've felt moments of, of sexism in, in music, but not to the degree that I think you know women like joan and stuff had to deal with um it's much more i don't want to say inclusive but i also just i don't look at it like that like i don't see myself as a a chick in a band i see myself as like i'm a i i do what you do i see my as what all the guys do i don't see i don't see gender like that and you know and i don't all of my idols have always been men and it's not because they're men. It's because I love their records. You know, it's, it's not, so I've never looked at gender as this kind of divide and maybe that's naive of me, but I just see it as the best songs, the best song, the best artists are the best artists. I want to be like them. I want to be like that. And so I don't, I don't like to put the, I don't like to focus on that. And, and so, because I think I don't focus on it, maybe I don't even notice it when it's happening. If that makes sense. Sounds that like makes sense, but let's broaden it a little bit to more of a me too thing. Uh, any woman, never mind a very attractive woman like yourself, has men hitting on them all the time. Okay. And if you have a profile first on a TV show and a band, okay, that is amplified. So, Almost everybody in those walks of life has me too stories. Do you have me too stories? I have, I have, un, I have uncouth and un, yeah, I have uncouth encounters with, with men, um, of course. But I also think that every, it's unfortunate and it's very sad, but I think that any 
woman of a certain age has been in very uncomfortable sexual situations and at some point in their life um probably most people have honestly um so i don't i I, again i don't want to get too into that but of course of course i've had uncomfortable situations that you know and inappropriate situations of things that shouldn't have happened the way that they did but on as far as the like getting hit on and things i actually find it funny i don't get hit on very much at all and i don't i don't know if that's i think a part of that is because i built this like there's this protection around i roll around with four giant men with me all the time that's very intimidating like i have this force with by being in a band of this of this crew of people that i roll with all the time so i'm never i'm, I'm very protected and in, in, in this um i don't know so we're kind of a, a, a imposing i guess when we we're, we're a force when we when we walk in together and i'm never really by myself so um it would be it, so. I, I just I don't think I experience that in the same way that maybe some people do. That. Well, what about everyday life? You're in New York City. I'm in New York, but I'm. I don't know. Like I love New York because it's you're in the middle of a billion people, but you can also completely hide. Um, you know, it's New York can be whatever you want it to be based on the minute and that's why i think it's so amazing you can walk you know one corner and walk one block and you're in the heart of it all and turn another corner and you're in the middle of nowhere and i think that that's so cool and so it's it's very easy for me to kind of hide and and live very normal normally in in new york and i don't and now especially with COVID, i don't go out i don't do anything i'm a homebody i'm very boring (laughs) um so i'm yeah it's I, I go for long walks and, you know, who are you meeting on a walk? <laughs> Would you ever say to yourself, oh, you know, I need food, but I'm not going to go to the market at this hour because I'm going to have to deal with the public. They're, people are going to, you know, try to hit on me or talk to me or whatever. Um, Yeah, I mean, not the market, but there's certain areas in New York. Like if you don't want to be photographed or you don't want to be bothered by, you know, paparazzi or eBayers or people like that or people who might notice you you don't go to soho on a saturday like you know there's there's areas where you just you know to avoid um so yes there's there's certainly times when you when you think that to yourself but as far as just like going to the grocery store like no i'm just a person i'll go to the grocery store i'm not that i'm not that fussy (laughs) okay how about if you leave the house you know i was at a private situation with a household name and who came looking like she just walked out of you know, a movie set. And I said, this is a sentence. She's known as a beauty. She has to leave her house every day and make herself up. By the same Mm -hmm. token, I have another friend who was on television, went to pick up food and somebody came up to him and said, aren't you so-and-so? Said, yeah. Said, the person said, you look like shit. So (laughs) do you feel that pressure? God, if I'm leaving the house, I got to put my look on. I certainly did when I was on television when i was on gossip girl i felt like i could i hated leaving i didn't leave the house without makeup i always had an out put an outfit together part of that i think was that i was young and i actually really enjoyed expressing myself through fashion and makeup and things like that from the visual standpoint um but also i knew that as my picture was going to be taken and when i walked outside so who wants to look like shit in photos um (laughs) but i think as i've gotten older i've become much more relaxed in general about image and how I'm perceived and and walking around New York and stuff. I I don't 
I don't care. I don't like, I mean, again, like I'm not going to go to one of the areas in New York that there's always paparazzi hanging around looking like crap just because why would you do that to yourself? But just like leaving my house in the, in the daytime, like I'll leave the house and looking quite normal and very average. (laughs) Okay. So if you're a homebody, how are you spending the time? You're watching television, you're reading books. Yeah. Watching TV. I mean, we, uh, we haven't been home from tour too long, so it's. I'm actually just kind of. I've got a lot of errands and chores and things, and we're getting ready to leave again here soon. So it's a lot of like unpacking and repacking and and things like that. Um, but yeah, I watch television, play music. Um, I walk a lot. That's the other thing I do in New York is I, I go for mile long walks every day and just um, people watch and and enjoy the city and the the energy that is. That is New York that there, you know, I've literally been around the world and there's no other place that even comes close to it. Like, I love New York so much. It's so special and so different and so exciting. And so it's it's the best. And so I'm never bored in the city because you can even if you're doing absolutely nothing, just all you have to do is walk outside and you've you're watching a movie. Like, Everything it's crazy. you say is true, but you know, living it, I grew up in the East coast, 50 miles from New York city, but you know, the East New Yorker comes to LA, looks around, says, I don't get it. You know, you got to use your car. There's not this, that New York city, greatest city in the world. Angelina, greatest city in the world. But Angelino would say New York city, greatest city in the world, but I'd rather live in Los Angeles. Yes. <laughs> Well, see, that's where I was talking to Margaret before we started talking. And uh, I was saying Los Angeles is like that. I have all pretty much all of my friends who used to live in New York now live in L.A. And they love it. And they're constantly trying to convince me to move there. They're going, you're crazy. You're missing out. It's beautiful. The weather. And I go to Los Angeles. I stay there for about a week. The first week I'm going, this is amazing. It's sunny every day. I know exactly. I don't need to wear a jacket i gotta it's awesome the energy the vibe the so positive and great after about two weeks i'm so done and so ready to like for first two weeks i'm ready to move there by the time third week comes around i'm like if you don't get me back to new york city i'm gonna go absolutely crazy i need the grit i need the grime i need the i don't want to feel like i have to wipe my feet when I walk outside to make sure my shoes are clean for your sidewalks, like <laughs> I want, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. There's just something about New York that I can't, I'm, I fell in love with it when I was young and I just don't think I'll ever let well, that I go. I feel about New York exactly about, you know, you go to the East Coast, God, why am I living in LA, blah, blah, blah. But after a period of time, I can't wait to get back to LA. I so, get it. I get it. Teach their right. own. I, maybe one day, maybe one day Los Angeles will become my new home, but not yet. I also, after spending five years in Maine um, in the complete and utter isolation, I think the 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 mayhem of New York City is very refreshing. I, I was well, missing New it York, immensely. New York only works if you can get out. Mm-hmm. If you're an artist, you don't have that much money and you're there 24-7 week after week, it becomes oppressive. I, yeah, it certainly can. If you can get to Maine, whatever... Okay, so which on the other side, if you're spending 24 hours a day, I would see I would say the opposite is spending 24 hours a day in Maine became extraordinarily oppressive where it was it was torturous to be that I'm one of the few peoples lived in the country. Now, granted, I lived in the country prior to Amazon, the Internet, I mean, FedEx. So you were living in the boonies. Yeah. And then the other thing I don't like about living in the country is everybody knows your name. Oh, yeah. I like the anonymity of the city. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, 
and you don't have to say hi to the same person without talking to them for 20 yep. years. <laughs> and there's no small it's, talk in the city. It's the best. Right, right. Exactly. See, it's, you're, it's you're, very, you're on that New York pace. It's a, oh yeah, good to see you. Okay, bye. <laughs> so you're in New York. Are your parents still in St. Louis? No, no, no. My family, we moved to, uh, we moved from St. Louis when I was t- nine or 10, 10 um, to Maryland because my dad switched companies or jobs um and so i lived in maryland so my family's still in maryland um i have to make that i don't know what you really what is your sister sister do every day um she well she's very private and won't let me talk about her um but she is doing wait she, she went to college she's very smart she's very uh driven she's very beautiful and sweet and wonderful and she's uh she's currently living life and figuring out what she wants to do with it um but i but she will literally kill me if i say anything more than that but she's doing great and she's uh on her okay, own okay so someone who spent all that time with your mother and yeah. absent from your father what's your relationship with your parents now both in quality and frequency um i don't see my family very often um you know, we have kind of a texting relationship, I guess. Uh, they, you know, have always been very supportive of what I do. But I think that our, you know, as I as I got older and, and kind of moved into my own world of creation, um, that they weren't really integral and, and a part of, you know, we certainly drifted apart. And so, I, you know, I think our relationship is it's all right. It's good. You know, it's, it's fine, but it's, it's not super, uh, involved. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You've had this career. Other than Jared Leto, and you may have more number ones, you're the only person who really made success of the last couple of decades who was first on television. So you've proved it. You have staying power. You've had success. What do you want now? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I should probably think about that more often. Uh, <laughs> what do I want now? Um, I want to have a good time all the time. That's what I want. <laughs> is, that, is that a fair? I want a good time all the time. Um, no, I, used I, wanna, to, I used to say the same thing in my life at one point. It's funny. I just, I feel like it's usually been, after the trauma. It is. Say, it's Jesus. been hard. It's right. been some hard years, and I just want things to be easy and fun and good, and I want to have a good time. Um, which is why, I, and I mean that, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next, you know, couple months because the touring's a good time, and I hope it remains a good time. But it's, it's, we're very excited to get back out on the road and. and go to Europe again. We haven't been to Europe in years and we're doing that in October. And finally we're starting to transition into becoming an arena band. We're playing our headlining our first arenas and in, in Europe, which is very exciting. So just, I just want everything to keep kind of growing and progressing and, and moving forward in a, in a positive, good way. And, and I, and then I want to get back in the studio and I want to make more music. I want to make another record and I want to, you know, kind of not close this chapter, but, um, you know, but take a step forward from it. And I think, and, and, and just see where life's going to take me. I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I don't have it all planned out, but, um, but I would like to continue to make music and I would like to continue to better myself as an, as an artist and as a person and, and do that on a, you know, minutely and daily basis. Ew. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think about the game? Because a lot of artists, especially in rock, bitch about the game. The streaming, Spotify, the playlist, the payments, the radio. Thoughts? Um, well, I read your letters on it all the time. Right. <laughs> um, I think that I think that I haven't gotten too involved in it, and that might sound stupid, but I think that I just try to I think that I think that you've got to make. I don't know what I think. I don't think I don't think I'm smart enough to talk about this on to you. Um, that's what I think. I think that I don't know enough, even though I should, because I've been doing this a long time. I don't think I know enough to speak uh, in a in a, in a conversation well, well, okay, with you, I'm not, Bob. But is it something that bothers you? I yes and no, but I don't know that it bothers me on a on a specific i bought streaming's this weird thing i have this love-hate relationship with streaming where i you know in one way i think it's wonderful that, that everyone has immediate access to your music and you know i use streaming i listen to it i'm guilty um you know because it's so accessible it's right there um and i think that that's wonderful because music should be shared and appreciated and listened to ad nauseum on the other hand i'm you know call me old school i really appreciate 
the album and I, you know, that's what I grew up with. That's what I love where you really kind of delve into the art in this deeper, more meaningful way when you listen to records and it's, and it's not this fleeting quick little thing. It's, it's something that's important and it has value um, past, past just a fiscal value, but like it has, it has actual value, has physical weight when you hold it in your hands, it has importance and, and it's, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a film. Like it's, it's, it's worth something. It's, it's soulful. And there's something to that that I feel like is getting lost in the modern paradigm of music where you're, you're missing this. It's, it's so, it's so much, it's so much all the time that I think that the importance of what music can be is getting lost to a degree or, or can get lost in a, in an easier way. Um, whereas the, you know, the album was something that encapsulates a, a time period and a moment in life and the, you know, of that artist where you can really get inside the artist's mind and, and understand them. And by understanding them, you, you understand yourself more. And, you know, it's that whole symbiotic relationship with music and, and being a listener that I think is starting to get kind of dulled down because the importance of records and albums with streaming, the importance of music itself is becoming so, there's so much of it. I think, but I think it's the same thing with television too. Like there's just, there's so much accessibility and there's so much product that it's overwhelming and it's hard to find the, the real gems that, that can change you as a person. Instead, you're, you're infiltrated with, you know, a flux of tons of stuff that, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't, I don't know. I, I know that I still, even though I'm guilty of using streaming, I, I still use streaming to listen to the records that I, that I've always listened to. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't really know what I think of it. I think that I think it depends on what you grew up with and how you how you use it. Cause I also think everyone uses streaming differently. So it's I don't think that you can put a blanket um sum up of streaming's good or streaming's bad. I think it depends on the on the person and, and specifically what, you know, artist or moment or thing that you're talking about. Okay, so there's a great Queen song, which doesn't get that much airplay, but I love it, which is, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I want it now. Yeah. Okay. So I was literally listening to that like three days ago. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Traditionally, musicians would sacrifice money to have more people, other than Gene Simmons, would have more people (laughs) listen to their music. Uh, do you say, well, you know, Spotify tip top 50, it's uh hip hop and pop, but shit, that's where I want to be. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I no, because I don't fit on that list. Um, I make a different kind of music. I think that I would love for, you know, our band, the pretty reckless and, you know, rock and roll to, be at the forefront of those lists. Sure. I would love for, you know, the whole world to think that rock and roll is the greatest thing in the world. Cause I think they should think that, um, and have it be, you know, the most played, most popular thing in the world. But, at, you know, but I'm also understand that it's not always that it's not that simple because it's not crafted for that. It's not meant for that. That's not what rock and roll is. Rock and roll is, it's meant for the underdogs. It's meant for the, you know, the, the, the people that are trying to find their place and, you know, are a little more, you know, I don't, I don't like to sum everyone up into one thing, but you know, it's, it's smart. It's thoughtful. It, it, it requires thought. It's meant to make you think it's meant to make you feel in a real way. Um, And that's not what 
people want all the time. Like, you know, it's it, pop music is very accessible and you can put it on in the background. I'm not trying to make background music. That's just not what I do. Okay, going back to social media, we've established that you keep part of yourself removed from social media, but to what degree do you post which platforms you do it yourself or you have a team? And then what are your thoughts about TikTok? Um, well, I I run all my own socials. I'm pretty terrible at it. <laughs> I still like, uh, but no, it's, it's me, like it, Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and Facebook is linked to Instagram and Twitter. Those are all me directly posting. Um, and then the band sites are the four of us posting. So we all have logins to those. Um, and TikTok is something that, you know, everyone in the industry says you should be on and get on jump on board with. I have one. I have at Taylor Momsen on TikTok. Don't have a lot of posts because I haven't quite figured it out. And uh, but, you know, I think it's it's just content. Right. That's all. That's all anything is. It's just constantly posting something. That's kind of how I see it. And so I just try to focus that on um, sharing a little bit of my life and what I'm doing, but, you know, keeping it focused on, on the art and the music and, um, you know, that side of things, because that's, that's what I want to share. But is there anybody on your team or yourself who says, oh, there's a track on this album. And if I cut a 10 second spot with this, there's a chance it'll catch on. Oh, no, we're not that calculated. I probably should get someone on my team that thinks like that, though. <laughs> With the Internet, it's moving so quickly. I should probably get uh, someone who's on it. OK, Taylor, I think we've come to the end of the feeling we've known. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking this time. I'm glad that you're back from your unfortunate hole in the world. But uh, good to talk to you. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this, Bob. It's it's. I've been reading you for years, and it's so nice to finally speak to you, uh, you know, semi face to face. <laughs> you bet. Okay. Till next time. This is Bob Left Six. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.